Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest today is Jamie Pearson, CEO and President of Fang Inc. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Jamie is a business leader with a history of building successful teams. She's an expert in leadership, team building, coaching, and mentoring, and she was selected as High Times Female 50 in 2019 and Top 20 Women of Weed in 2018. Jamie is a rare second-generation cannabis executive. She's been a leader in numerous industries, including real estate finance, investment, and strategic celebrity partnerships. Jamie is widely recognized as a win-win deal-making ninja and leads negotiations for all global joint ventures and licensing deals for Bang, the world's most awarded and distributed house of brands featuring the eight-time Cannabis Cup-winning line of gourmet chocolate bars and an award-winning line of CBD products. Wow. Thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to talk with me today, Jamie. I will admit that I, I'm a bit of a fangirl. Um, Bang was my first legal edible, and I have watched the company grow, and I've been so impressed at how you've been able to maintain your position in the industry through all the ups and downs. That literally just gave me goosebumps. I, I love it when people approach me and say something like, I had a bang bar for the first time, or you were my first edible or, um, you know, then I, then I know I'm with, I'm with a friendly. So makes me happy to hear you had a good experience. And I, I also am amazed that bang is still around. Um, last month was our decade anniversary. We've been in the business for 10 years, which is quite an accomplishment um, you know, I've been with Bang for five years going on six, so I wasn't there at the beginning, but, um, you know, the ups and downs are right. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be in the industry. Um, super, super grateful, um, that we've had quite a few things, just luck go our way. And I think part of the luck is built when you, when you do things right. Um, and you do things right when no one's looking. And I do think that that's the way Bang operates. So uh, I think that karma, you know, pays us back always. So anyway, I'm glad to hear uh, that you, you know, our products, you're a fan and that you're a fan girl. I love that. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's, let's rewind a little bit on your history because you actually got your start as a real estate mogul. I'm very curious what led you to focusing on a career in cannabis before it was even adult legal? You know, a lot of people, it's an easy answer when it, when it became legal, you jump in, but you made that transition before it was a safe bet. Well, I think it's, it's funny. I've told this story so many times um, that I, that I feel like everybody knows my story, but I'll, um, I'll tell you my story and it'll be new to you. Um, My dad 
is a cannabis cultivator. Um, and he's not, he's not a professional. He doesn't have a giant grow, but he's been growing cannabis for 55 going on 56 years and I'm 51. So it gives you an idea that I've had cannabis in my life, literally my whole life. Um, and so I've grown, grown up around, you know, growing, um, you know, mites, powdery mildew, um, you know, all the things that growers talk about, uh, you know, I've grown up in that world. And, you know, the thing about my dad is that he's never been an alcohol drinker and he's, you know, I think it's easy for us now to, you know, armchair diagnose him as having ADHD. Um, but you know, that's definitely what I think my dad suffers from. Um, you know, I wouldn't say suffer, but he, he's a highly functioning um, pot smoker and marijuana makes him feel better. It makes him function better. And I think there's this uh, misunderstanding in the world that people who smoke pot get lethargic or lazy or, you know, sit around eating Doritos. My dad was quite the opposite. He would, would be able to focus better um, and do better. He's been a very successful businessman. Um, and, you know, he would attribute a lot of that to marijuana. So he grew his own supply while it was illegal. And, you know, I grew up definitely understanding how to keep a secret. And when I couldn't, couldn't bring friends home, if it smelled like a skunk in our garage, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, you know, the background of my life was that, um, I grew up around cannabis. And then on my mom's side, my first cousin, he's also my best friend. We're six months apart in age. Our kids are the same age is the, uh, DJ from Cypress Hill, DJ Muggs. And so, you know, while I was in college, Cypress Hill was at the top of the charts with songs like hits from the bong and I want to get high. And, um, you know, they were out there on stages talking about legalization, um, and, you know, going to jail and, you know, getting really villainized for this plant, um, which ironically, I, a lot of people don't realize that being a schedule one drug, marijuana is considered, um, as dangerous as heroin or methamphetamine. Um, so anyway, I just grew up with it. That's the background. And so when, when marijuana, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Um, I was also a college athlete and I played college basketball. I was not a marijuana user. I was not a drug user. And so, you know, that's how marijuana was characterized in my youth. And so if you were smoking pot, you were a drug user. And now I know differently. Now I understand that it's medicine for most people. Um, but I just didn't want anything to do with it, but I grew up around it. So it's one of those sort of wax on, wax on, wax off uh, karate kid moments. Like when it came time for me to karate chop, I, I had a lot of latent informa information and knowledge in my brain. So fast forward when marijuana became legal in California, it was over you know 20 years ago, many, many years ago. It was, it's been legal in medically in Montana, where I'm from, for uh, you know, 15, 17 years a long, long time. So when you say that I jumped in when it wasn't safe, it's not quite true. It was actually legal when I jumped in. It's still federally illegal. It's still technically not safe. Um, and when I, we all do still have concerns about, you know, what the federal government can do, but I do believe that you can't put the genie back in the bottle, that marijuana is here to stay. People have gotten addicted to the tax revenue and it's a matter of time because so many people wake up every morning in a state where they have access to clean, safe, and legal cannabis that uh, it will be impossible to, to get rid of it now because too many people use it and have their life enhanced by it. 
So that's kind of my story. You know, the, the quick answer is that DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill and I've been investing in real estate together for a long, long time, um, going on 20 years. And when, when marijuana was legalized and it came back in vogue, Cypress came back in vogue and people were hitting them up for weed deals. Oh, you know, put your name on my product, um, be our sponsor, you know, endorse our product. Um, you know, Muggs came to me and said, we're, we're thinking about doing a deal, but we want to make sure that whatever it is that we don't get taken advantage of, that we, that it's fair that, and we want, you know, basically creative control. We don't want to slap our name in somebody else's product. Will you help us? And, um, and that's kind of the very truncated version of a long, long story, but the answer turned out to be yes. And, you know, six, seven years later, here I am. That's a great story. And, you know, I, I love that one of the things that you mentioned about your dad is actually one of, I think the one of the most pervasive myths about cannabis is that it makes you uh, lazy and lethargic when in fact, so many people that I know consume all day and it actually helps them to be far more productive. I, I know two attorneys that I won't mention their names, but if they're, and they're probably not going to listen, but if they did, they would know who they are that dab all day long. And they are the most high functioning, incredible, sharp minded human beings. And they dab all day long. I, anyway, it's just um, doing some more realistic depictions of what cannabis use looks like. Uh, Cause I don't think there's anything out there that isn't people getting high and laughing or doing, you know, ridiculous things. It's, it's just not that way. And, and, th- and those of us in the industry know that I'm curious, Kira, what's your, what's your cannabis story? My cannabis story is that I was born and raised in Northern California in a little town called Point Reyes. My mother was a hippie. The people that I used to take care of me grew it. So I've been exposed to cannabis my entire life. And for me, it was always the people who weren't using it and who had a problem with it were the ones that had the problem that weren't normal. So it's always been a part of my world and a part of um, my consciousness and using it to expand my mind and using it as medicine. It's just always been that way. And then, but this interview is about you, not me. Well, I think it's interesting. (laughs) The comment you made about the people that were not, um, comfortable with cannabis were the ones that kind of had it wrong. And I'll tell you that I was one of those people. I, I didn't, I didn't want to be around it. I was afraid of it. I not, I wouldn't say afraid, but, um, I just didn't want to be associated. I didn't want to be called a stoner. I didn't want to be associated with it. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be that, you know, the athlete that I was, and I wanted to be a scholar and I wanted to be an achiever and I wanted to be all these things. And I was, a hundred percent, this believer that they were mutually exclusive. And yet I had all of these in my own life, all of these successful people that were using cannabis every day in front of me, my own life was a testament that to that wrong thinking, it's really a story of the power of stigma. Um, and I think part of it, it has to do with the fact that I grew up in a cattle town of 800 people in the, in the Rocky mountains and that small town mentality was very um, powerful. And, you know, if you if you were on the wrong side of the community opinion, you know, it was it could be like truly life or death. Not that they would kill you, but 
they would ostracize you. And the people that got ostracized, it, it was miserable and I didn't want to be there. So, um, so I just, it was like that lesson in that, the power of, you know, being worried about what people think. And then what I realize now is I was one of those people and I had a lot of growing and learning to do. And one of the things that happened was uh, basically that I learned how, how wrong my thinking was. And now um, I'm learning so much about cannabis every day. I still learn about cannabis and, you know, back in the day, um, you know, I tried it when I was in college and it was like, nobody was saying, well, I want Gorilla Glue or I would like Jack Herrer or I would like this. They were like, can you get the weed? And whatever you got was what you got. And, you know, brown. Right. And and maybe you, you're smoking, you know, probably something that's been, you know, sitting in someone's closet for, for too long. And now it's full of, you know, really old and heightened CBN. So you have that sleepy uh, stonery experience, or you get super paranoid or whatever it is. And all of those things that are unnecessary, because when you find the cannabis that works for you, you can have a really great experience. And then I think, what is the difference now? I look back and I think I would never want my kids to see me smoking a joint. And I'm thinking, well, they, they've watched me drink a beer. They've watched me drink a glass of wine. So they've watched me alter my brain in front of them truly with poison when you think about the fact that alcohol you get in the sauna the next day and you smell like a brewery if you've had a couple beers the night before but 30 days after you smoke a joint it's still in your bloodstream because your body's holding on to what's in that plant because you have an endocannabinoid system and we actually benefit from cannabis like it is truly medicine so i've had all of these aha moments and i've met the most amazing people. And I do believe that the people who are afraid of it and don't understand it are the ones that we have to be, we have to be passionate about educating and compassionate and empathetic um, to their plight of ignorance. But I do truly believe it's a plight of ignorance. Um, And I was, I was one of them because I was making a judgment without getting information. And what I just always try to preface my comments with, look, I'm not trying to get you to smoke marijuana and I'm not trying to get you to like it. All I want you to do is to open your mind to the possibility that there's something to this. You know, the the comment I always used to make to my kids is if you see something everywhere, there's something to it. So if you, you say, Ooh, mom, I don't want to eat raw fish. Sushi sounds disgusting. Well, if there's a sushi restaurant in every corner, there's probably something to it. So that's the moment where you have to open your mind and say, I'm going to try this. And, um, and and that's kind of the message I, I have for my friends and family, you know, into cannabis is, you know, don't knock it, inform yourself, get the information you need. It is truly a miraculous plant. Has cannabis made you a different leader? That's a good question. I would say no. And I will tell you why. Um, I will say that I, I use cannabis very rarely. I use alcohol very rarely. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that I prefer to be sharp. I prefer to have my wits about me. Now, when I use cannabis, I use it for sleep because it helps me sleep two and a half milligrams at night. I, you know, um, I sleep like a baby. And after I hit about 45, that wasn't the case. So 
definitely enhances my sleep. So I would say if I, if I end up well-rested because of cannabis, then that makes me a better leader Then yes. But I will tell you like philosophically, I've had moments where I've been out um, using cannabis, having my mind expanded, having some thoughts. I do believe sometimes I have some um, deeper understanding of the human condition when I'm high. And I don't think, um, I didn't realize that that was possible, but I, it's been, you know, I, I like to journal um, if I'm high, but what I figure out is I don't drink and drive. I won't smoke and drive. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just one of those safety, careful people, I guess, you know, maybe you would all call me a stick in the mud. My kids call me Buzz Killian, but you know, that's a whole nother story. The other thing I'll tell you about my leadership though, is that I've been a leader since I was young. I was, uh, you know, I played high school and college basketball. I was captain of both of those teams. I was, you know, in the student body. Um, I've, I've just always been that person, even when I was young. So then when I started, you know, doing real estate, I started my own company. Um, so I've always had employees and teams that I've led. And when you, when you come out of athletics and you've, you've been the team leader or the coach, you know, point guard coach on the floor, you come into owning your own business and you have employees that look up to you. You know, the reality is, um, you know, at 51, I've been an entrepreneur and a leader for about 30 years. So cannabis came into my life about six or seven years ago. So most of my leadership um, characteristics were formed many years ago. So I would say, I believe the kind of leader that I've become has had is is more influenced by my athletic background. I think also I have a degree in women's studies, and I think that education really gave me an appreciation for um, for gender differences and and sensitivity to things that I need to be aware of. So all of that coupled with my small town background, knowing that your reputation precedes you, um, knowing that people will talk about who you are before they meet you. And then when they meet you, um, you've either been vilified um, or somebody's got an opinion of you that's good. And so you, you basically, it makes your life easier if you walk into new relationships and everyone's like, oh, we've heard about you, you're great. Or we've heard about you and everyone's you know, kind of looking at you like, are you going to yell at us? And I just prefer um, knowing that if I treat people with empathy and I listen to them and I'm aware of the situation, I'm reading body language, I'm doing all of those things as a leader that I think um, give me that emotional intelligence. I, I think I have a pretty high EQ going into my leadership world. Then you build trust with the people that are working with you and for you. And when you have a team that trusts you, you can move mountains. And so that's really my leadership style. And I don't think cannabis has had anything to do with that. Interesting. One of my questions, actually, I didn't know that you were, uh, that you've majored in women's studies. So it really informs the question that I want to ask you about how do you lead the women in your company when they come to you and say they've faced racism or sexism, either within the company or within the industry? Believe me, I know all that stuff. I've had, you know, my butt pinched and, and been asked out and been all that stuff. 
I've had it all happen to me. And the reality is, um, I never, I never got offended, but none of that stuff triggered things in me. And I also realized that people have things that happen to them where some of that stuff is really, uh, harmful. And so what you have to do is believe it. You have to read their, you know, take their temperature and take it seriously. So I had it happen. Um, there was an employee at bang that was working with a vendor and the vendor, she would call him and he would say, what are you wearing? And stuff like that. And, um, you know, I oh. laugh because the, you know, she and I laugh about it now because she came to me. She's like, this guy is a creep and I don't want to work with him. And, you know, meanwhile, he was, it was unfortunate because he's a great vendor. And, and like, on one hand, we wanted to work with him because he was do, providing the service that we needed provided. On the other hand, I was never going to make her make that phone call again. And, you know, so then I called him and was like, what are you doing? Like, how do you think that this is okay behavior? Um, and we're done. We're done. We're done working with you. It's it's not a three strikes and you're out. It's not a, I'm going to give you a chance to not behave that way again. It became very clear to me that he doesn't understand boundaries. And all that I was going to do was set her up again to have to deal with him where there was another situation. You believe him. Second of all, you take action. And, you know, I'm not going to cut someone off at the knees if there was a potentially a misunderstanding, I want to go, you know, get the information and figure out what actually happened before I'm like, you're fired. But at the same time, if what we figure out is uh, this is going to continue because this person's not able to make good decisions and I, then I'm going to fire you and we're going to be done with that. We're going to move on and find a, a vendor that um, isn't going to behave that way. So that's, you know, that's the long answer, um, but it's it's something that I feel passionate about uh, because I do think well, I've I've just learned something in that hashtag Me Too thing. But then the other thing I realize is um, there are people that use that um, manipulate they they use it to manipulate and uh, that's unfortunate and it happens in every scenario in every type of situation where people are victims, not just hashtag Me Too. And then what happens is people focus on that and they, that becomes the issue. And I will tell you that nine, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but the majority of the percentage, most of the women are telling the truth and I don't want to ever discount something like that uh, because, you know, one or two people in the history of the, of, you know, the past have misused that. And so, you know, I just, I just think about that all the time that, You've got to be open to hearing the information, but you have to take action and, and believe them. I, I think it's really interesting that you come from a world of athletics. And I know a lot of women who've done really well in male dominated environments because, you know, they, like you said, you kind of become like a guy and you just let it roll off your back and you don't, but <clears throat> as we've come to learn there, these microaggressions, they actually take a real toll over time and put women in the position where we're constantly the ones who have to make people feel comfortable with our presence, with our needs. And, you know, as we're, we've come into this era right now of the Black Lives Matter really finally being pushed to the forefront, we're also seeing how much burden are the women of color are carrying. Not just are they carrying the burden of the women, but they're also carrying the burden 
of these microaggressions of racism and having to be um, the performative ally, right, where they're making other people feel comfortable with their discomfort. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you see women in the industry. Do you think that cannabis is good for women in the industry in terms of a place to work? Do you see that we have an opportunity here that we don't have in other industries maybe to take some power? And if so, how do you think that we can, can move into more of a position to have a stronger voice and a stronger presence throughout all levels of the industry? Yes, I believe the cannabis is good for women. I believe it's a great industry for women. Um, I think the main reason that I believe that is be precisely because we're in prohibition. And right now, the real money hasn't arrived yet. There won't be real money in cannabis until there's banking. And business structure happens like this. I'm... Joe Blow, I've got a gazillion dollars. I send my kid to prep school. Um, he goes on to Princeton or wherever. And this cycle of privilege, um, you know, you can even start in the middle class. I'm Joe Blow. I own my home. I own my car. I have a decent job. I have an education. And I prepare my children at the dinner table to, you know, repeat. And, you know, I'm golfing. I'm on the board of this. I'm on the board of that. And so you basically have um, people putting other people in positions of access to power who look like them and sound like them. That is not evil. It's not inherently evil. There is nothing wrong with that. That is what people do. We hang out with the people that we look like and sound like, or that we grew up with, or that we went to school with, and we have this sphere of influence. And so when power resides in a particular sphere of influence, it's cyclically going to stay there. Be not because there's this desire to exclude, which there is, and I think we can talk about that later, but because there is this natural desire to be comfortable and hang out and be with people and do business with people that look and sound like us. And so uh, essentially, if you have the power residing in the white male hierarchy, and then it's it, it's not going to leave the white male hierarchy, not because they're saying women are stupid and people of color shouldn't have access to power, but because they're going to say, oh, I golf with Joe Blow and he's amazing and he should be on the board because he has these this skill set. And the reality is, how is a woman or a person of color going to get a skill set if they don't have access to board positions, executive um, positions? Um, leadership positions. And slowly but surely, that's been chipped away at by, you know, the federal government has made rules about access. Women and, and people of color have finally been, at, been able to own property. Uh, you know, women weren't allowed to bank accounts in our name, I think, until the late 60s. People don't realize that. We barely got the right to vote not too long ago. Like, we're talking about generational wealth and generational power that stays cyclically where it always has been. And that's normal. It's natural. But the reality is the only way that changes is if there is an on purpose, very intentional sharing of access. And I, I, this is my soapbox. And I always tell people we have people of color rotting in prison right now, sucking off tax dollars. We are spending 
tax dollars to people have people caged like animals over a couple of joints or a pound of marijuana, stuff that we're making money on now. It is unconscionable. And it is time for us as an industry to share our power on purpose and our access. And so what I what I believe is right now, cannabis is an opportunity for people like me and people who believe like me to say that enough's enough. We're going to disrupt that cycle of power and we're going to go give access to people who don't look like us, in my case, you know, to other women as well. And we're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to deliberately make sure that people of color have access to power. So an example of what I did was when our founder asked me to be on the board of Bang um, before we went public, I said, who am I going to be on the board with? And he sent me the deck and I said, there's no way I'm going to be on the board with five white guys. I'm like, it's just a optically, it's a bad look in cannabis. B it's just wrong. And either you let one of those guys go and, you know, or preferably more than one. And we have this, a diverse board, um, or you can, you can count me out. And so he, I won't tell you what he said, but he did that. And now we have a black man on the board and he's the chairman of the board. And he is a M&A cross-border specialist. He has a, a law to, um, a law practice that is licensed in New York and in Canada. Um, he specializes in cross-border mergers and acquisitions for publicly traded companies, uber qualified to be on our board. A- absolutely fantastic mind. And he wouldn't be sitting on our board if I hadn't demanded at least one position be given to somebody of color. So now we have a woman and a person of color on our five-person board. So it's it's a start, but it, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't said, I'm going to do this on purpose. And I think where I believe we could be making changes in cannabis right now is we could have companies like the Canadian Securities Exchange, um, the TSX, um, even NASDAQ, we can be going to them and pressuring them to say, you will not accept publicly traded companies that do not have diverse boards. They could actually create that as a standard and we could no longer have publicly traded companies that exist that don't have diverse boards. There are easy ways for us to make changes and we can start by doing it in cannabis and, you know, as a disruptive organization. So what I believe is the other thing there's, money to be had that is not risk averse because right now the big money that's all risk averse money they're not playing in cannabis right now so the people that are willing to take chances are willing to take chances on people that maybe don't have those um, extensive backgrounds and resumes Uh, and it's an opportunity for people to say I'm the CEO of a publicly traded company I'm female or I'm a person of color and then when it's time to have a board seat there you go. You've got that experience and be, you become eligible and we can start infiltrating uh, business by using cannabis as our Trojan horse. Um, but I'm saying this, I know it all sounds so, you know, super spyish or um, sort of a deviant model, but I'm, I don't mean it that way. And the way I mean it though, in the end is we know that diversity actually creates more profit because imagine if you've got a board of five white men and you're trying to create a product 
that is supposed to appeal to black women, Hispanic women, Asian women, um, you know, black men, gays and lesbians, and all of these people that they don't walk a mile in those people's shoes. So how could they possibly make a great I really, really admire you for taking a stand. I don't think it sounds secret spyish. I think it is the it's a, the position of leadership that cutting edge leaders, that enlightened leaders are taking. And without leaders like you in our industry, we'll never change. So thank you for everything that you're doing for women and people of color in the industry because it statistics show across the board, no matter what industry you're in, when you hire a diverse workforce, you have less turnover, more productivity, and a better bottom line. It just, the statistics don't lie. It, having a diverse workforce brings so many different ideas to the table that you just wouldn't get if you have every one of the same color and sex. So I'm 100% behind you. I appreciate everything you're doing to make this change in the industry. If anybody takes anything away, uh, um, away from this interview, it's that um, uh, that the practice that I'm doing has really benefited the company because the team that we have, man, I just I am so proud of our team and the things that they accomplish every single day. I honestly, we're like a family and we are. Um, we're in sync. We push the rock in the same direction. We always say, and um, like in my heart bursts when I think about the team that we have at Bang. Um, it, it's I, I'm super lucky. I am so lucky. Every day yeah. I wake up, everybody on my team I, when when they call me, I look forward to talking to them. We look forward to our team meetings. We have fun. You know, cannabis should be fun. And you know, Bang's mission is to turn the fairly enjoyable into the ridiculously fun. So think about that. Like every day, that's our mission. And <laughs> that's what our team is trying to accomplish. And it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. It's been really, um, really fun. And I think at the end of the day, if you can change the world, if you can enhance people's lives by providing them a product that makes their life better, and you get to turn the fairly enjoyable into the ridiculously fun, I am clearly doing something right. <laughs> and what you're doing right is changing the narrative. The narrative does not need to be if others succeed, if one group succeeds, another group has to fail. That's not what this is all about. And I think you're showing very clearly in your leadership at Bang that it's to the benefit of everyone to have diversity and inclusion. And yet we still need leaders who will, will stand up and make sure that that happens. So I am, it sounds like you have an incredible team and I bet they're all very grateful to be working there. So let's bring this to a close on a really positive note. I would love to hear from you. Who are your female mentors or leaders that inspire you and why? Um, wow. I have so many. Um, I would say number one would be uh, Michelle Obama. I, I just absolutely adore her. I'd love to meet her someday. I think she's, I think she's incredible. Um, and I've, what she's been able to accomplish, um, sort of behind the scenes has, you know, just her education, everything. She's so articulate and, and, oh man, she's, you know, I would bow down to her. Um, 
I'm, I'm a big fan of Madeline Albright. I think um, Madeline Albright, when I think about her in all of those rooms, you know, foreign diplomacy, she was so, mm -hmm. so good at what she did and was also well-respected. You know, every room she left, people respected her and it was never about her gender. It was about her job. And I think, um, you know, she was, she was a great role model in that. Um, you know, the, the other women that come to mind, um, in the industry, I, I talk about them all the time is the Knox doctors. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I am, I, uh, Dr. Janice, Dr. Rachel, and Dr. Jessica, um, they are the example of being educated in a thoughtful way of being articulate, of being patient, um, and of having, you know, a really admirable mission that they go out and, um, you know, they go out and fight the good fight every single day and they do it with so much grace and poise and intelligence. And I just, um, I'm just, I feel really fortunate to call them friends. I have a woman in my circle, um, Bobby Paley, who's an investor and, um, you know, she teaches me a lot about, um, soft power. Um, there's uh, Kim Kovacs at, uh, she runs Arcview with, um, with Jean Sullivan. And uh, those two women are so, so smart and talented. Jessica Billingsley at Akerna is a woman that I admire. She's, um, she's in a man's world and has her company public on, on, um, on NASDAQ and is just, shown us what it means to, you know, keep her head high. And, uh, I look at Kim Rivers at true leave and I, um, you know, Kim Rivers is another woman that, um, you know, I admire her a lot. Um, she's done, you know, she's kicking butt when you look at what's going on at true leave and you look at the numbers of profitable, um, cannabis companies, she's the, the leader of the pack. I admire Jacinda, the, uh, prime minister of, of New Zealand right. and you and Angela Merkel. And I look at all, there's so many I could go. I literally, I could go on and on and on. And I think we have so many examples in the world of strong, powerful women, both in our industry and um, you know, just in general. And then I think about who am I forgetting? You know, I'm, I know that I'm going to get off this interview and I'm going to think, Oh, why didn't I say that person or that person? Um, there, there are so many. So if I've forgotten you, I'm sorry. Um, because there, there are too many really for me to just rattle them all off. One of the women that I really admire is, I don't know if you know, Jessica Hooper, but she, she has a blog called, um, on the fence and she does work with, um, Carlos and Salvador Santana and, um, she's, she's working to bring, you know, diversity into the cannabis space and, um, man, she's smart. And her on the fence blog is really cool where she invites women to come talk about a time where they've been on the fence about something. Oh, interesting. Um, right. And then when you hear other people's stories where they're talking about, well, I was thinking about this and here were the pros and cons and here's what eventually what I did. And here was the outcome. And I think bringing, um, people's stories, you know, to the, to the forefront so that we can all benefit from them. Um, it's, it's big stuff. You know, there's a, a recruiter in, um, Silicon Valley. 
um, her name's Liz Gale, Gale Search Partners. I think she's a really good recruiter in the cannabis space. Um, obviously, I could I could go on. And I want to say, though, that I have some women in my team. Um, Samantha Collins is our CMO, and she's a rock star. And Nicole Hanratty is our global director of marketing. And I'll tell you that Bang is the 400-pound gorilla in the room because of those two women. They, they are really... The, the people that, that turn, you know, water into wine, they're amazing. So, you know, like I said, I could go on for days and, you know, maybe one day that's what we'll do. Um, but Kim Kovacs is putting together, um, she wants to get a million women in cannabis and she's putting together a group um, that is trying to go achieve a million women employed in cannabis worldwide. And, um, Anyway, if you haven't interviewed Kim, you really should. She's she's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jamie. I really have enjoyed listening to you and learning from you. And I wanted to talk more about Bang, but I feel like this was the conversation that needed to occur. So please come back and let's dig in a little bit more about Bang and your experience there. But thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom and your honesty with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back and talk about Bang. We have a lot of good stuff coming and um, it's exciting to talk about. So anytime you want to have me back, I'd be super happy to do it. And thank you ladies for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com and find the group that's right for you, including the new Women of Color group, which is hosted by the lovely Miss Kindness. And mark your calendar for September 30th. The Women in Plant Medicine Summit is coming. It's a full day summit featuring women working in prohibited plant medicines. Tracks include science and research, psychedelic studies, and self-care. Tickets start at $10 and you can RSVP at houseofjane.com. I hope to see you there, ladies. Tune in again next Tuesday for another interview with women who are leading cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.